Welcome to a Wednesday afternoon edition of Unexpected Points. I have Rich Rebar here from Sharp Fantasy Football Analysis. We're going to talk about this wide receiver class, some questions on tiers, some questions on 10-year-old arguments on wide receiver size, and I'm going to get back into everything and more with Rich here on Unexpected Points. Alrighty, alrighty, Rich. Thank you for joining me. I mentioned earlier this week to people here that I was going to talk with JJ Zacharyson. He he can't trust anyone though that can't get his internet connection going going properly. So you were nice enough to to jump in here, and I was going to have you on. I was going to ask you to come on at least to talk about running backs anyway. But I feel like this wide receiver class is a little bit more interesting, at least in terms of more elite depth. I would say. Well, let, let, let me just talk that first, maybe. Uh, what do you think about this class generally? Well, thanks for having me fill in. We did running backs last year. I know a lot yes. of people are probably wanted JJ. It's like booking Dan Marino and you get Scott Mitchell, but you know, uh, I will try to fill in and matriculate us down the field, uh, to the end zone as best as we can. Scott, uh, yeah, Scott this, Mitchell had a couple of good seasons yeah. there. Let's not forget I, that he had I'm a lefty uh, too. So <laughs> who was it? Uh, he, he had Herman Moore, Herman Moore and uh, Perryman, not Prashad Perryman, but what was it? I can't remember his name right now. But anyway, they, they had a couple thousand yard receivers, Brett you know, Brett Perryman. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, Wayne Fonts. Remember Wayne Fonts? Yeah. Wayne Fonts oh, yeah. Era. That was something. Uh, all right. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's what it is. We look at this class from a top-down view. There might not be a like Jamar Chase, like 99th percentile type of objective, you know, wide receiver. But I do think there, this wide receiver class does run a dozen, maybe a couple more, like of interesting prospects deep. Uh, and there is opportunities here, and especially when you pair it with what's have transpired this NFL offseason with the wide receiver market and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, how aggressive teams have moved in the direction of not just the trades, you know, it's one thing if you paid Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Tyree Kill, but seeing a guy like Christian Kirk, you know, be significantly more valued than a guy like J.C. Jackson or Carlton Davis, uh, you know, does that impact this class? And does we see like the NFL teams get more aggressive with wide receivers that maybe uh, are in need here too as well. So there are some uh, top-down angles here that are pretty intriguing about this class. Yeah, yeah, I know it's interesting. You did that angle that you mentioned as far as teams getting more aggressive. There was uh, a tweet from Daniel Jeremiah over at NFL Network uh, at Move the Sticks, where he he says, when you see the cost of quarterbacks and wide receivers on the open market, it makes drafting them in the first round and gaining five years of control very enticing. And that if grades are close, teams are going to probably lean in that direction. Well, I mean, well, first of all, I'm not not going after anyone here, but. <laughs> Like this whole grade thing and like the dissociation with value, it's like, yeah, that's kind of the point, right? Like you want to get valuable players earlier in the draft. So we shouldn't necessarily be surprised if teams are going to prioritize taking players who are more valuable objectively by what NFL teams are willing to pay them than players who are not as valuable, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm really curious too to see now does the fifth year option is how the relevance of it now that it's fully guaranteed. Uh, you know, especially at back end quarterbacks. You know, it used to be like, oh yeah, I'll slide into pick thirty or pick thirty one or thirty two, and you can get a quarterback and have that leverage here. Now you don't have that anymore, and this is a great class to kind of test that theory out uh, to see what happens with this quarterback class. But wide receivers, I mean, the fifth year option does is still beneficial if you have a, an elite player. If you if it does get there, now we're seeing these guys. If you if you land any player, they're gonna bump their market up and get a new contract before we even get to that point. I'm sure we will see that with Justin Jefferson after this season uh, going into next year, his agent, you know, now that they can negotiate after that third year, we're going to see them aggressively push for a new contract. Uh, So we'll see if the fifth year option is really that type of kind of influential as, you know, Daniel Jeremiah suggests it would be, but it is nice having, I guess that uh, one extra year of, you know, contractual negotiations to fall back on if it need be break class on those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, plus you can, when you do these extensions, I talked about this a little bit last week when I had Jim Saunas on here talking about quarterbacks and the fifth year option. When you're doing these extensions after year three um, for four guys, although you don't necessarily see that happening all the time with wide receivers, but if you are, it's just nice to have these eye-popping numbers not start until after that fifth-year option because mm-hmm. it's like de facto you're picking up the fifth-year option as part of the negotiation. So even if you're paying someone this ridiculous amount, it's not like they're going straight into that con- that that new higher extension amount that gets reported immediately. You're rejiggering it over the course of a much lower fourth-year number, a lower fifth-year number, and so on going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And that's huge. Uh, you know, th- th- that's where it's a little bit different at wide receiver than quarterback, where it's like quarterback now, it's almost turned into like a franchise, an extra franchise tag, right? Like, you know, yeah. Daniel Jones is 22.4 million this year. So that's only going to continue to rise. But Kyler Murray, who's already made a Pro Bowl now, it's dead even. It's 29.7 million for the fifth year option. And that's the exact number for the franchise tag for quarterbacks right now, too. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, though, with uh, those positions. Yeah, yeah, and then you have the uh, the the Darnold fiasco with his with his fifth year option that and now sure. Baker, <laughs> yeah, 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 now Baker and everyone else going in there. So yeah, yeah. Although Baker, well, we'll see. I'm I'm always I'm always a little surprised. I know you're out in uh, the Cleveland area out there. You have any? You have some intel for us on on Baker Mayfield? Some inside sources? I don't. Uh, everyone that like the teams we get to associate ourselves with, like Cleveland has their own like tight lip like analytical grouping here. So I don't really have any sources in the Cleveland. Uh, you know, the pool of the organization. But uh, I can tell you it's very mixed here, the response of, you know, obviously, you know, acquiring a player like Deshaun Watson that has that he's going on. And a guy like Baker who, like, Clevelanders, like, while they're so quarterback starved for the last 30 years, uh, you know, Baker is a guy, like, considering what he played through last year, like, earned a lot of respect from a lot of fans, even though they want wins and they want good quarterback play. Like, him playing through everything he played through did hold a lot of weight for the fan base still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had this interview that I don't know if you saw some of that trickling out about mm-hmm. being disrespected and his whole his penning his his goodbye note to the fans before <laughs> anything even had, had happened necessarily. It's one of those things where I feel like his personality, and this kind of goes for any type of personality, a quarterback really, but especially this type of personality is, you know, if you're winning and you're doing well, people will just build in all of this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of nonsense about how it shows this or it shows that and the grit and the passion. And then and then when it's not going so well, people are kind of like, OK, you can just shut up now. Like, we don't need to hear <laughs> we, we don't we don't need to hear that 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 type of stuff. 
Yeah, that's kind of what happened. And, you know, quarterbacks and it, the mentality of a quarterback to this point is that, you know, their, their psyches are a little fragile anyways, too. They've, they've been the, they've been the man for a long time. I don't know if you saw that, uh, was it almost like a flag football video of Aaron Rodgers throwing that interception to that kid, that kid running him back the football? Oh, no, you gotta no, look that it. up. That just has absolutely incredible stuff. And Rodgers kind of throws the ball at him. Oh, it's amazing. Amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys are all <laughs> psychos. That's why I think it's funny when they're doing these uh, evaluations and the whole do you love football or not, which I feel like is almost a euphemism for are you insane when it comes to like wanting to compete in this sort of way? I mean, not only in, in the competition stuff, but when it comes to a lot of these positions, like putting physical, accepting the the physical harm and thriving on that, that sort of stuff is almost like a reverse psychological evaluation. You don't want someone who's too well, I don't think necessarily, and too, too, too centered and too, uh, you know, uh, in, in a good place necessarily. You want someone who has a little bit of something going on. So yeah, I, I guess we'll see. We'll see. I haven't heard as much of the receiver class, though. Getting back to receivers, I haven't heard as much about the psychological evaluations here because these guys are just all divas, and we and we love it. Um, let's talk top of the class, though, because I always think it's pretty interesting to contrast fantasy versus what the mock draft industrial complex is kind of doing over there versus fantasy football because – I have a couple of observations. I want to see if, if you agree with this or not. Number one, I feel like the fantasy football community actually doesn't move as much, doesn't change as much of, of its opinions. I think even on, on the combine, which is weird because you'd figure, you know, you, we'd have the, the nerds in their basements like, <laughs> oh, you know, this is a 98th percentile, whatever sort of thing and, and extrapolate this. But I feel like they don't move as much, even though every serious t- tape grinding film analyst will swear up and down that the combine doesn't matter that much and it doesn't affect them that much. I see a lot of movement based upon what, what's happening post combine, maybe even more in those sorts of areas. So that, so that's number one. And number two, just the difference between like a good fantasy football player versus a good a uh, real life football player when it comes to wide receivers i see those as almost being the same thing maybe mm-hmm. there is a little bit more value of someone who's in the slot who's going to get a bunch of catches in ppr right. or something like that versus not but I, I don't see that big of a difference what, what, what do you think about these my theories in, in both regards yeah i'm curious if the if the combine impact is just some of the stuff we don't have privy to like the knowledge that we're, we're privy to like whether it be like interviews or stuff that uh teams got the experience like word of mouth that like maybe some guys have some extra sources that us fantasy guys don't necessarily have uh that stuff well that yeah that's probably part of it is is they know they have more idea of where guys may be moving just generally Mm -hmm. so they're kind of building more of a of a knowledgeable projection based upon what teams are telling them as opposed to maybe fantasy guys don't move off of that as much because they're not you know talking to whoever at team x about guys yeah, and, and a lot of fantasy guys, you'll see more post-draft movement because a lot of us, you know, factor in draft capital now to a number of things. So we might just be like in a wait-and-see mode on a guy like, say, like David Bell or something, right? Like, you yeah. know, if, if, they, if they're if they going to handle him like Tylen Wallace or Tyler Johnson, then it's really easy to move off, right? And then, yeah. but if, you know, he ends up in the pick, a top 100 pick, then we can hang on to like the Keenan Allen comps and stuff like that that are generated. Um, so we m- might wait for that a little bit, maybe not ruling really a budget. I just think a lot of people have come to realize from like an analytical stance or an objective stance that the combines in actual influence is, um, you know, kind of depreciated over time, right? Like it's not like the individual stuff isn't stocked as much. There's uh, 
there are like top down things we will influence, let us influence like David Bell, for example. But overall, like we have seen a lot a number of great athletes uh, come through the ways that aren't productive, uh, get elevated, not be good and kind of inversely as well. So we don't really stock that. And then, yeah, I'm the same way. I think there's a lot of overlap in terms of like what a good receiver is and a good fantasy wide receiver. Really just the only thing that matters is like that slot, slot archetype, uh, you know, do you, like, what is the actual worth of like, like Tyler Boyd's a really good NFL football player, but the kind of like how much fantasy overlap is there? And that kind of varies like that stuff. But I think you're pretty spot on. Like if you're gonna be a productive NFL receiver. You're probably gonna be a productive fantasy receiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it, when it gets most hyped up, probably the differential in someone who's maybe like a field stretcher type and, you know, they bring some kind of you know, hidden element to opening up the game that won't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. And I think maybe that's part of it. But at the same time, you know, if those guys won't translate and they're not going to become a bigger uh, target hog type of guy in, in the NFL, normally we, we kind of just forget about them and, and, and don't, don't think about them that sort of way. We've seen quite a few busts of some smaller, faster guys in the second round in particular over the last few years. So that, whatever, I'll, I'll sprinkle into the analysis if we're talking. So why don't, why don't we start talking some names and then I can – start uh getting some takes and again i like having you on here because number one i like talking to someone who has a i feel like extremely solid rational process because i have a decently solid rational process but i get irrationally (laughs) inflamed by players who i like or don't like or things that i think are are unjustified happening like like i'm their their parents or something for some of these prospects uh and what's going on so i'm glad to have you you can talk me off of the ledge or back onto the ledge or wherever wherever i'm going on on some of these guys okay so let's start at the top do you have like a clear number one guy do you have a clear number one like a few guys in a tier how are you viewing this yeah, I think for me, there's more of like a, a big four from like a guys that believe like offer like ceiling, tactical leverage, like you hit upon, like can, can win vertically in a number of ways, even when they don't have the football, right? Like the impact plays and they don't have the ball. Um, and then, you know, tack, adding like a fantasy element, I think like I would include a fifth guy uh, in there as well. But I do think the margins between those guys are very tight. Like I said, like I don't really view any of these guys on the level of like a Jamar Chase last year, right? So it, I think it is tight. I think from a fantasy stance, it's really hard to differentiate if you have like a, a top five pick. Uh, I think you're going to there. There'll be a lot of top, uh, drafts that we look back two or three years from now and look back and be like, oh, man, you landed on the landmine or like I avoided the landmine guy that was there. Because uh, by all accounts, like all five of these guys that I have included into that bucket are going to be guys that are basically going to be selected probably in like the top 24 of the NFL draft. So it, it, I think the margins are really tight for this top, the top of this class. Okay. Okay. So who, who do you have at number one? Let's, let's get, let's get into it. I have Traylon Burks from both a, a fantasy and like real football stance. Um, I just think his ceiling provides the, the, the highest kind of apex range of outcomes in this class. Uh, you know, I think you get the built-in insulation of him being really good with the football in his hands and you can do that immediately in the NFL. Uh, I think he has really good underlying metrics that show if he does get a chance to play outside in the NFL, that he can win there a little bit more than maybe a Drake London, which we will talk about probably in a little bit too as well. Uh, you know, he played in this Arkansas offense that ran a lot of like three by ones. He played in the slot a lot. They were just trying to give him the football because the offense was so bad. But, you know, on the small sample of where he did play against man coverage, he was against uh, press coverage. He was isolated as an ISO wide receiver. He absolutely thrived and destroyed. Um, so I do think that there's enough of a sample there to at least say like, yeah, there's upside here as well. He comes with all these tools and then he has this added upside of like, well, he did do this 
uh, a little bit in the sample that he had versus a guy maybe like like London did when he was in those situations as well. So I do believe that, you know, maybe it's a small outcome, but I, I think of like Traylon Burks as like a Terrell Owens, like ceiling type of player. Uh, granted, that's on the very apex range of outcomes. Uh, you know, don't jump off the deep end and say like, I just said he's the next TO. But I think that that's the type of player we're working with. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, maybe in some ways it's unfortunate that we're in such agreement here because Burks, I don't know if it's the combine, him running, you know, first of all, it's like running a four five five at 225 pounds is somehow like an indictment now at this at this point, which is which is just really strange. I mean, when you think about some of these guys like, uh, I don't know, DeAndre Hopkins type or something, I mean, they're running in the mid four fives, you know, a Mike. Evans, he's running in the in the mid four fives basically, and you know Mike Evans is stacking guys on the on the NFL level like consistently, as we saw from from Burks, as you mentioned. So it was a little bit weird to see him just just fall so much. And yeah, so in like the in the comps that I got for him, and again, this is maybe going to come in someone to our size discussion, but just putting in you know his weight, his forty. I also put vertical in there because that seems to be a little bit more important. I used his uh a, a little bit better vertical from his pro day and then his career market shares of yards touchdowns his best season uh yards per route run and yards per reception all in there like the guys who are showing up here are you know des bryant deandre hopkins alshon jeffrey aj green uh eric decker demarius thomas like these are all like really really good names so i guess my question is and you you mentioned someone like to right so the first question i have talking about Burks is like the, the, like the, the guys that I'm looking at, it goes back to 2006. That's what we have. We have the data for, and you see this shift over the last several years of receivers getting lighter and lighter. We're now, this would be the, probably be the fourth straight year in a row where the average wide receiver size in the first round of weight is going to be under 200 pounds. And it's been trending that way for that direction for a while, despite the fact that we have Burks in London in there, we're still going to get low because you have these smaller guys in there. Um, are we thinking about things in an antiquated fashion? Maybe that, I guess that would be my question. Is there something to maybe the archetype has shifted in a way? So I'm saying, oh, this guy looks like Des Bryant. Well, maybe Des Bryant wouldn't be Des Bryant if he came out this year. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it has been trending that way for a while, but I think when the case of, of Burks is that, so, so what I believe is like the archetype that is kind of like a receiver to have kind of a red flag about is that like strictly perimeter clashing type wide receiver. We've seen those guys when they come with high draft capital, particularly struggle outside of just the guys that are drafted only on 40 times. Uh, But so like, but Burks isn't that like you're getting like Burks is the, the projection for Burks is him actually winning more outside. Right? Like that's the projection angle. What you're getting from Burks out of the box is already a player that comes in for his size, already having that built-in versatility. You can play him as a big slot. You can play him as a near-the-line-of-scrimmage player that you just get the football to. Uh, And I believe that that opens him up for more, like, potential out of the box because you can do those things with him. And then, obviously, if this this smaller sample of him, like, winning on the perimeter, winning its press coverage, like, is actually something that blossoms at the next level, then you've got, like, the full – the full package. Um, I believe that when we look at like, cause what's funny is the two, the big, the two big wide receivers in this class, Drake London and Burks from a physical standpoint, interesting enough, those guys were used in like a fashion as like smaller receivers in their offenses. Uh, I do believe that Burks is uh, near the line of scrimmage 
ability is something that will be more sticky than London's though at the next level. He was like better at, at like yak per catch and stuff like that. Uh, whereas London, I don't know how many, I don't know if he's gonna get fed the amount of screens that he was at USC, uh, which was basically by necessity as well. But it is interesting that you have these two old fashioned prototypical big guys, but they were not used that way in college. And I actually think that that helps them heading into the NFL outside of those guys that were just strictly stuck in the perimeter and have to win like, you know, contested catch situations, stuff like that. Cause that archetype, the, the, the Laquan Treadwells, the Josh Doxons, the Denzel Mimses, like that archetype has been really tricky to navigate uh, in this midst of guys that are coming into the league. Like you hinted upon that have versatility, can play multiple positions, can get the ball in space. Because that's why as the quarterback position, like we've got more competent quarterback play than ever. We're still hunting for a lot of elite quarterbacks. There's still a big thirst there. But the way that the game has opened up into speed and space and getting the football to players near the line of scrimmage has helped us have a lot more competent quarterback play. And, uh, you know, that's why that archetype, I believe, that old school throwback, like, uh, you know, contested catch X guy has really kind of not thrived recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the the the, the knock that you're going to see on Burks most of the time, and you, you addressed this somewhat, is – you know, his ability as a route runner, the fact that he had so many of these quick targets and other things. Um, I, an absolute fire take from uh, mentioning J.J. again, J.J. Zachary, and he had uh, Alfredo Brown, who works with football guys on his pod, uh, a tape guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, and he said that he said that he thought Burks was going to was going to have like the career arc of uh, Cordero Patterson and eventually be a running back. And that was just fire. That was the most fire yeah. thing that I've, that I've heard in a while there. Like I did a little, little literal spit take when I was listening uh, on that one there. And I think with him and these concerns, and maybe this also plays into my irrational love for, for, for Matt Corral and why people get mad at him um, <laughs> because, because of the offense that he's running. But like, I like to think about these things sometimes in extreme. So like in an extreme fashion, if you had, let's, let's even go back to like high school football. So if you had a dominant wide receiver in, in high school football, the the rest of the receivers are not that great. Your quarterback's not that great. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to put them on the outside and tell them to run routes down right. the field and, and do whatever and see the ball every now and again? Or are you just going to put them in the slot and just feed them the ball over and over again, let them work his magic, and then do basically what they did at Arkansas, which is whenever they saw something that looked like cover zero or looked like there wasn't going to be safety help, then they said, okay, go out to the outside and just run right past your guy and we'll throw it up to you. And you'll average, like he averaged like seven yards uh, a route against press press coverage. Like that just seems like a way to win football games if you have a dominant athlete. In my opinion, it's actually saying he's a better receiver than you think because they use him in this fashion. You would only, and you would do that if you had someone who was so much better than everyone else. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where, where I'm at. Like, you're getting that, that element of what we said is thriving in today's game already uh, with the added bonus. Um, I also am kind of, like, enjoying this, like, mini dip on Burks because <laughs> I think he's got a really good shot to avoid, like, maybe the potential landmine spots of the Jets, the Eagles. He might fall into one of these really good spots, like the Cardinals yeah. or, like, something like that. So I'm kind of enjoying this little dip uh, because I still believe he's going to go in, like, that top 24-ish, like, top 25-ish area. Um but yeah, I, I don't have a lot of those concerns because I don't think that those things are necessarily as important in today's game. Like, right. Like I just don't, I think there's, we're seeing the NFL transition to where 
players are getting maximized for what they do well better than any other era and, and penalized less for things they do poorly, right? Uh, and maybe that's more rational coaching is happening. I don't know if I really believe that or not on the inside, but we're starting to see that a lot. And, and I don't know what like domino officially fell. Maybe it was Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, but you're starting to see a lot of imperfect players that necessarily um, aren't like the what you would paint as like the perfect prospect, but thriving in the NFL because of the things they do well, they are really they do really really well, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's what you have with Traylon Burks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, going back to quarterbacks, I think it's the same thing. Like you mentioned, how the floor has been raised a lot, and I think it's because of that that they're importing a lot of these you know cheap cheap uh, uh, plays and cheap ways to to gain right. yards that they're doing in college, and it's just like, guess what? It's not cheating. It's not cheating to do something that's easy and scores points. Like, let's score points, people. Let's do that, you know, and not worry about doing it the right way or the wrong way or the easy way or whatever people are are so so concerned about here. Okay, so we're aligned on Burks. Um, Who do you have second? Uh, I I have London second uh, just because I think he checks too many objective boxes, but I think that – when the concern of London isn't necessarily what the narrative you consistently hear, right? It's, it's, uh, you know, not so much that he has to win in contested catches. It's my thing is like, he doesn't have any like Trump cards that win in the NFL right now. Uh, and that's where like, like Burks Burks is like, he has a couple like Supreme Supreme Trump cards. I don't know if London's like near the line of scrimmage uses as sticky as Burks. I kind of, kind of hinted on that. Uh, I'm real curious to see if that is something that stays, but, uh, you know, Dwayne McFarlane, who works at Pro Football Focus, did like one of the best articles, I think, of the offseason where he kind of broke down the rookies uh, based on like the most popular routes in the NFL. Right. Like the, the most po- like the, the concepts that are used in the NFL and like Traylon Burks, like for all his inefficiency, still had like major spades and like routes that win the NFL in breaking routes, slants and go routes. London in this class isn't in the top 10 at all in any of the primary routes. That's the concern for me is like it's, it's he's got, he stacked all this production, but in ways that like aren't used in the NFL. So I'm really curious to see the translation. But in terms of like size, uh, he's the second youngest wide receiver in this class. I do think he can play some big slot as well and you can move him around. Uh, I, I like his objective ceiling if he hits. Uh, I think he does carry a little bit of a, a lower floor than maybe a Garrett Wilson. Uh, but I do like his objective ceiling. And I do want to take guys that have like these big monster like apex outcomes in their profile. And I think he still has that. But uh, uh, like I said, the, it is tight in the, when we get into the margins of this class. But that I do have him second. Okay. So about London's a very interesting for me because it's almost like the opposite of Burks as far as as time is passing – like nothing's changed, right? All these, all these, all these, these grinders—they've been grinding he's done nothing. months, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's done nothing, right? He hasn't done anything. I guess he has his own personal pro day coming up, uh, yeah. which has already got pushed back once, but it's going to happen in a couple of days. Uh, everyone seems to suspect that he's not going to be that fast anyway. So I don't think him running, uh, you know, somewhere even between four, 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 five, five, and four six is really going to matter that much for people anyway. But mm-hmm. yet his stock seems to be rising i guess i don't know he's number one on i believe in our big board for wide receivers i've seen a lot of positive stuff about him i think in the grinding the mocks website which accumulates everyone there i think he is a close second to garrett wilson in people's opinion there and he's moving up so like what are people seeing that he's doing that you're not necessarily seeing for why his his game is going to be more translatable, I guess. Well, what's what's like, like the devil's advocate case for why he should be above someone like Burks? 
I I think just teams are 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 looking at Burks. They're just really penalizing Burks for what he did, right? Like you know, I yeah. think a lot of I think the expectations for Burks is that he was going to be like a Demarius Thomas type like athlete, right? And that didn't happen for people. So like it lowered the projection. Like it's easy to say like Burks is a, is more of a project, right? Like like we kind of hinted upon. Like they want him to do all these other things, and it's easy to say that while that is packaged with like an elite athlete. But, you know, now you, it kind of lowers the projection, right? It's just, well, oh, we're working with maybe uh, a guy that's not significant. I don't believe that, but I'm just trying to put myself in the minds of people that have dinged him in that capacity. Whereas London's really done nothing. He hasn't hurt any of his stock. Uh, maybe at this pro day something happens. But like you said, people aren't expecting him to run fast, where the expectation for Burks was maybe he would run fast, right? So he's getting it's getting extra counted against him. Yeah, and then, okay, production-wise for, for London. So he is... His 2021 season was shaping up to be just absolutely incredible, um, but he only played eight games. So I'm a little bit ambivalent. I, I'm not quite sure, like, if I'm not giving him enough credit for that, or whether other people are just assuming that pace would have continued, like it would have just been like a linear sort of thing if he had played 12, 13 games or something, something like that. Because the last guy I can think of who didn't really have stellar production. I'm sure there are more. This is I was just thinking just this is just going on memory here. Who didn't really have that stellar production and had an awesome like half season and then was drafted pretty high is probably like Devontae Parker had a pretty awesome like half season, yeah. which ended up all the wide receivers were kind of inflated in, in 2015 because of the fact that 2014 was just this ridiculously awesome class um that, that ended up coming out with Evans and Beckham and everyone else that, that came out that year. Um, what are your thoughts about his production profile and how we should be viewing him not having as much production early and having this better year than anyone, but only for eight games? Yeah, it's tricky because he did play behind two NFL players that have been productive, you know, uh, already. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say USC is going to turn into Alabama, but the the tide has turned on those guys in recent years because Michael Pittman has played well and Amon Ra, the sun god, played well last year. So him being behind, stuck behind those guys, maybe isn't so much uh, of a penalty. You know, we don't know, like, extrapolated stats, like if he would be able to sustain what he did. But the way he was being used probably was going to give him a high floor, right? We had talked about him. He, 24% of his targets were screen passes, right? Uh, he was getting he was getting three and a half screens per game. Just like those are free, right? Um, he wasn't as good after the catch as a guy like Burks, like I said. So I do wonder how sticky that will be in the NFL if, if we'll see him get a bunch of screens in the NFL. Um, but we know that like teams are going to – teams are always enamored with that guy that could catch a 50-50 ball. It always has been that case. Sometimes that's a red flag for guys when it's the only thing you can do. Uh, I like to believe that he can do more of that, but we know when teams see that though, they're they kind of elevate those guys, right? We talked about Mims a little bit. Uh, we had our thing a white side, uh, you know, and Keel Harry was a guy like that. Uh, and you know, when you have a guy like Drake London who's basically winning two thirds of his 50-50 balls, right? Like teams teams like overcompensate that, right? And what it translates to the NFL, do they not? Yeah, no, 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 definitely. And you know, I did. Uh, I was trying to look at that sort of thing. Um, specifically for Burks and for London is figuring out like this. So what, what I ended up doing is I looked at their press coverage when they were facing press coverage and when they weren't facing press coverage and then figuring out like how efficient they were on yards per route run, uh, how, how, how their depth of target on those different types of plays, whether or not they were contested and how, what percentage of the targets ended up being contested on those sorts of plays. What I found was interesting is that um, 
for for Burks, I, I didn't really find much concern with the fact that he wasn't facing press coverage that often because he did so well against it. For London, what was more interesting than even against press coverage is looking against off coverage. And at least there seemed to be a little bit more signal there with maybe some worries for him, although not on the level of these other guys that you were mentioning, where like J.J. Ortega Whiteside – he was he just had this huge volume of contested targets even when he wasn't facing press coverage. And the same thing yeah. to a lesser degree for Denzel Mims and for Nikhil Harry and others. Mm-hmm. But London ended up in the same cluster as those guys, but uh, Clay Chapel, I mean uh, uh Chase Claypool was also in that in that cluster, but not as extreme as them. It, it kind of seems like you really worried sometimes when you're not even facing press man coverage and you're still mm-hmm. relying upon contested catches. And I think that bears out in like the, the work that I hit upon that Dwayne DeWitt did. And, you know, definitely check that article out. Whereas you look at like the, the subset of routes that, that the NFL is throwing and he's not top 12 in this class in any of them, you know, he, the yeah. highest he finishes is, is 12th in hitch routes uh, in terms of yards per route run in this draft class. And I think that that, all those things we talk about kind of bear out. And that, to me, that's the thing that like no one's focusing on in the, the – because there's like a holy war of Drake London going on in like the analytical field crowd right now uh, yeah. and how valuable contested catches are. But to me, I want to see like what, what ways do you guys win that are translatable to what NFL teams are doing, right? And to me, London doesn't have a lot of that in his profile right now. And that to me is the biggest red flag. It's not him winning 50-50 balls or how much screens he had and how sticky they are. It's – the way that the, the routes the NFL is using and the concepts they're using, he doesn't really stack up a lot in the, to this class. It's, it's a lot of projection. Okay. So if, you know, we, we just said a lot of negative stuff about the guy you have ranked number two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Versus, well, versus, because the things you know, that matter, and you know, you've done a lot of work with this too, yeah. but the things that like objectively have mattered are, you know, age, you know, uh, declare status, you know, do, you know, you know, market share downward, all these things Like he checks, he still checks all those boxes. Even after all the things we said, he checks all those boxes. Like we still kind of look for. Yeah. 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 What about age versus declare status? Because um, unless I have my numbers wrong, Burks is like a year older than he should be. Mm -hmm. It seems like, Uh, does that matter to you? Uh, I mean, the work I've done in the past has shown that declare status matters a lot more, like, you know, how, yeah. how you produce based on eligibility. So to me, that matters a lot more. And I've done some work at Chuckable Analysis, a bunch of articles on this before, too. Uh, I'm curious to see how muddy it gets over this period that, you know, the extra year uh, that was granted to everybody. Like Chris Olave now, does like, does he get extra penalized for playing an extra year? Uh, we'll probably get there on that, um, you know, because we have a number of players that did because we had like a half season for guys, uh, you know, like last year, and then everyone got to come back. I mean, if, if that didn't exist, Kenny Pickett might not even be drafted right now. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he didn't, he, he, I mean, even though it was a shortened 2020, it wasn't, it wasn't so hot there, there either. Okay. So being that the, there, there are more questions in your mind with London. So why is he above the Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams and Chris Olave hundred? Is it, is it just size? So you can easier project them into like a, a big uh, target hog sort of role, or is there, is there something more to that? Yeah, I think when you're just talking about, uh, you know, me looking at it more through a fantasy lens, lens is that you're talking about a guy who like legitimately has like 15 touchdown season upside, like multiple seasons, right? Like when I, I think when we get into the weeds of this restless class, the other guys could like pop and have high scoring touchdown seasons, but like 
London has like a profile where it's like, oh, this dude could have like multiple double digit like touchdown seasons in the NFL. That's kind of like the separator for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, are those are those guys well, I guess I I'm not even sure. Maybe you have Pickens or someone else up in there too. But um who who is who's your next guy then after London? So I have Garrett Wilson three. I will say like if I was an NFL team, I might be incentivized to to take Garrett Wilson over the other two guys from a real football stance because he maybe has a higher floor than those guys, right? Uh luckily I'm not in put in that position and I can and I can say, Oh yeah, I'm just gonna draft for fantasy ceiling. But I, I think Garrett Wilson you know, check, checks all those boxes that we look for, you know, age, physical profile. He's so good after the catch, you know, versatility that we look for. So I could see the why teams are like enamored with him to the degree where he basically from this entire process has been the consensus wide receiver one in, in like mocks and drafts. Uh, you might go get a little value on someone else taking a shot on like a guy like London, but basically Wilson has held that spot uh, for the entirety of the off season. Um, and, you know, you're playing, playing against, not against alongside another first round player in Chris Olave and being so productive against him in terms of like man coverage and winning after the catch compared to Olave are just things that stand out. How do you think about competition? Um, Cause obviously Ohio state, you mentioned it being against another first rounder. The funny thing is like Wilson and Olave were second and third on the team last season in their yes. in their production. <laughs> so it's like not only you're not first, like Olave's not even second on this team, but I think everyone is assuming that um who's who who's the who's the guy? I guess I guess he's Jackson a sophomore. Smith and right? and yeah, yeah. So he was a sophomore. So he so he couldn't or he's two years in. So so he he couldn't come out of this draft class anyway. So people are kind of assuming he'll be a big, big guy. Does that does that give you a little bit of pause to say like the guy who could be the one-on-one in the class, like didn't even lead his team in, in receiving yards. I mean, somewhat, like I said, I'm more or less like looking for things that like are, are like translatable to like the, what the NFL is going to use. And I still think like Wilson has so much of that, that it doesn't really bother me that he had, uh, cause like, cause he had enough production still. Right. It wasn't like we were making the excuse for like a Henry Ruggs, right. Like where the production wasn't really there playing in a crowded system. Like the, all those guys were uber productive. So it's hard for me to like really penalize him cause he still had a lot of that production. So I don't really factor in a lot, but I mean, these Ohio state guys, I mean, they're just turning out and the system is so good for like just producing these wide receivers right now and the conference that they're in. Cause it feels like Ohio state is still playing uh, a different level of football than the rest of the big 10. And obviously they're able to recruit at a different level because basically you get to tell people like, Hey, you get a chance to play a national title game every year and elevate your draft stock. Uh, but the rest of the big 10 just, just can't match the athleticism. Like Ohio state's routinely putting on the field. And these guys just putting up bonkers numbers. Uh, and then we're seeing that really impact the quarterbacks that they've had. And I'm real curious to see like what we do at CJ Stroud next year, because the, the amount of raw production that the Ohio state guys are producing and the amount, the way they're doing it, pushing the ball down the field and not really doing a lot in the quick game has kind of hurt the quarterbacks coming to the NFL. So I'm going to be really mm-hmm. curious to see like how CJ Stroud like does uh, progressively in the quick game and how people handle him, you know, when he gets to come out next year. Yeah. I mean, it is wild, the collection of talent either at Ohio state or Alabama when it comes to these top wide receivers, maybe, I mean, maybe this was happening more in the past and it's just like, but it just seems to me that it, uh, I mean, like I was looking at um, John John Mechie, who I'm sure we'll talk about. Maybe we'll talk about mm-hmm. a little bit later. And like the amount of top picks that the guy has played with through <laughs> through his three seasons, there is just absolutely bonkers um, to think about uh, how, how you're even able to get on the field. So it's a little bit surprising they 
continue to recruit so well, knowing that there can be a stack up. But as long as these guys keep on being first round picks, then it, I, I guess they're they're not really going to mind there. So so mm-hmm. who who do you have next after Wilson? I have Jamison Williams, and it ties back into. I know a lot of people are going to be up in arms and say, "How can you have Jamison Williams over a guy that like he had to transfer to like you know?" Uh, yeah. But I just think when you look at like pure ceiling, what wins in the NFL? Like Jamison Williams has like that type of like spike ceiling. Like right? I see like uh, his ceiling being like a perennial like twelve hundred plus yard guy is going to be like an, is a, is like a stellar systematic fit. Like he's always going to provide tactical leverage because of where he can win downfield. Uh, he was the premier like deep target in this class, but I also believe he has translatable ability to like win and underneath routes. It was just Alabama didn't need him to do a lot of that stuff. They just asked John Menchie to do a lot of that and had, you know, James Williams open the field. Now he does come with the ACL injury. So like you, you might not get anything out of, out of him year one, but I just think like when you look at from like tactical leverage stance and what he provides as a ceiling, it's, I, I want that. I want I want to I want to go and swing on that a little bit more than uh, Alave, who I think people will probably have brushed back on being at five. Yeah, yeah, I think for Williams, um, yeah, he hits a lot of targets even in 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 my numbers, kind of like excluding the fact that, like you said, the transfer and everything else that happened there. Um, probably I, he probably has one of the higher scores when I watch their uh, their just bombs YouTube video clips I like I put him I put him pretty high on that one that's my extensive film work there so uh, I, I'll give you that so let's talk a lot Alave so he's <laughs> he's um extra year right so he's he's so how much does that factor into things uh, like I said it, it typically has been a penalty I don't know how much like I said during this and unique period of college football how much i want to penalize guys for it but it has typically been a red flag um i think the thing with Alave is just we talked about versus the other guys is like i believe you're getting a really good player with him but i do have like some questions about like the the overall like ceiling i mean this is a guy that really struggled against man coverage uh his yards per out running against man coverage were 35th out of 40 wide receivers in this draft class that were invited to the combine uh he's 36th in percent of yards that came career after the catch and all of his yards after the catch are things where he's running like deep crossers or like he's not touched he broke he broke three tackles last year he forced three missed tackles that's three more than you and i does it be like um, has zach, has zach Ertz broken a tackle account we're gonna have to do have you ever seen that twitter account there's a one there's one yes. every time every time he catches a pass it just says no because he never does uh so maybe we need the same thing for for Olave next season so i i don't want i don't, I don't want to say like he's just because he didn't break tackles in college he won't like I, I haven't really dug into like the level of like wide receivers like how sticky that stuff and how correlated it is uh but i do think that like he could be a guy that like always gets you like 900 plus yards but maybe just doesn't have the ceiling as the other guys right so i think you're getting a really good player but i just think the other three guys provide a lot more like apex apex trajectory than he does yeah yeah you might you might get more just kind of these empty routes where you're not you know you're just not getting the production and it's useful as part of the scheme or whatever that the nfl teams are running but it's not it's not as good although i did see uh uh, wide receiver guru Matt Harmon uh, put something out today about really liking him saying he was uh, it, so you gotta be definitive when you say these things right so it was like <laughs> by far the best route runner in the class or or yeah. undoubtedly or something like that so uh that's a, you know so something to keep a to keep in mind also uh see, see how far he moves up uh, but to me that's here. the firewall like I I feel pretty good about those five players okay so those are those are the five there and then as we start to creep into some of the, some of these other guys I will mention just quickly because I put together some – I was just looking 
about this whole trend because we have our two segments of bigger guys and smaller guys. So I was looking at guys in these last three draft classes where they've all been under, on average, they've all been under 200 pounds from 2019 Mm -hmm. to 2021. So the guys, I've looked at guys who were under 190 pounds that were drafted in the first couple of rounds and then guys who were 210 or higher, right? And the second round in particular, it's like, a bloodbath of guys doing nothing that are under 190 pounds. You have Andy Isabella, mm-hmm. Tutu Atwell, Dwayne Eskridge. I mean, who knows? It, it, this is recent, so he could turn into something. Uh, Nicole Hardman, Rondale Moore, KJ Hamler. And then as you get to the top of the second round, it's mm-hmm. Elijah Moore. But even in the later first round, you know, or middle first round, Ruggs, uh, Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, we will see about him. And then for top 10 picks, Waddle and Devontae Smith, you know, they're doing pretty well. But again, these guys are like top 10 picks. For guys who are over 210 pounds, the only first round pick is Nikhil Harry at 32, right? So he's at the very end of the round. But then in the second round, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, uh, Debo DK. Samuel, LaVisca Chenault, Chase Claypool, A.J. Brown, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, you know, they don't all hit, and D.K. Metcalf. So it's kind of weird to me, like, how much better those guys have been when you figure the NFL should have a size bias in the other direction. Yeah, Cortland Sutton as well, I think was a yeah. good mix. Uh, and then you have, uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I to life me, still like uh, A.J. Brown to me, I don't know how he went in the second round because he was yeah, so good. He, he, was one of, he, he was 4-4-3 or something like that. Like, yeah, he good. tested yeah, well, yeah. and he was like elite as like a big slot receiver at Ole Miss. Like he had yeah. like that versatility. I, I, to life me, I just can't figure out how he went that low in that draft. D.K., uh, remember he had a couple injuries, but like D.K. got penalized for the – the, the stuff that like we talked about, like they weren't, they were focused on what he couldn't do, but the things he did well were so translatable to the NFL that that's what he came out and was good at. Right. Like, yeah, so yeah, um, yeah. It, it is interesting though, that you see like the, where people are almost double counting it, right. Like from like the size, like you, you would say like um, the size is getting impacted based on the overall performance of these guys, but it's from a draft capital stance, that's not the case, right? Like the, the, the small guys that are getting drafted high are still largely fine. Uh, it's just that these guys that are getting pushed down have been really good hits uh, for people. So maybe the thing where you look at like teams spending the second round capital, uh, maybe looking at a guy like, you know, George Pickens, uh, uh, we don't really have a lot of guys after the big guys we talked about in this class. But, yeah. You know, yeah. We don't, but maybe <laughs> someone like Burks falls into the second round. Who knows? You know, any, I guess anything, anything yeah, anything's possible. Could, could possibly happen here. So, okay, l- let's talk about the next tier of uh, guys now that we're out of those those top names, the names that are most commonly associated with the first round. There are some others who are who are mocked into the first round occasionally. Who who do you have next? Yeah, I'm real curious to see how this goes. If if it, if the NFL is aggressive on these wide receivers, like we hinted, could potentially happen for contractual leverage and just outright team need usage. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of teams that need wide receivers in this in this in, in the NFL right now. Uh, so if a guy like say those top five that we we went and just name say what if those guys are all gone by like pick twenty two and then we run into that gauntlet of like all of these like playoff caliber teams needing wide receivers the the Packers have two picks the Chiefs have two picks the Bills uh, are not out on wide receiver the Cardinals could use a wide receiver the Cowboys could use a wide receiver does that elevate one of these guys that maybe like a front second round guy do they now get first round draft capital i mean john dotson's typically mocked in the first round anyway so he'd be like next but does a george pickens do a sky Moore? do those guys now end up going in the first round just based on product of what's left over at the end of the first round that's gonna be one of the things that i'm really gonna be watching 
you know, during the yeah. NFL. The Cowboys the thing, the Cowboys thing is I always think is kind of wild because remember when they drafted CeeDee Lamb, it was like a yep. luxury sort of pick because they yep. didn't need anyone. And now they're like this, now they're desperate for, for wide receivers. So it's, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, that's just the fluidity of the NFL, like uh, the position in general. Like, uh, you can never have enough, you know, offensive linemen, defensive backs, and wide receivers. You just can't. Yeah. Like, there's no yeah. limit. There's no limit to them. You're going to need a lot of those guys. So, uh, and I think that's what we're going to see in this draft class, right? Because if the quarterbacks are soft and we end up only getting two, you're going to see a lot of basically like edge rushers, offensive linemen, and wide receivers get drafted. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so who's who's your next guy? Um, I have Pickens as the next guy, um, but I mean, you know, depending on what kind of capital you get, we could kind of be thrown off here. Uh, but I do think, like I said, there's a clear, clear tier divide after those top five. And then these guys all kind of like filed to another bucket of like the margins are tight, like the Pickens, the Jahan Dotsons, uh, the Sky Moors. And, you know, I'm still at least going to hold a candle for David Bell until the NFL says I can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about. Okay, wait, so let's talk about Pickens for a second because Pickens is one of these guys where I, you know, I, I'm probably a little too reactive as I am generally, as I mentioned earlier, to what's mm-hmm. being said about him. Uh, our own Sam Monson said that he was like the most underrated receiver or something like that. And I'm like, I don't know, like people like him a lot for a guy who basically hasn't yeah. done anything <laughs> in like three years, right? So like, I think it's I think it's logical to be skeptical. At least, Absolutely. right? He's another one of those guys where a lot of his projection, he's a guy who's getting mocked into the end of the first round sometimes. A lot of his projection, almost built into it, is an assumption that if the injury didn't happen, he would have performed well. And I, I, could, I could be on board with him as a, you know, like how much of a discount is appropriate um, for this, for, for him being that he was an early breakout. He does, he's not like a big guy, but I think, he looks mm-hmm. kind of more in the bigger, taller, you know, more fits into more of that mold than like a Sky Moore or someone else. And he plays that in there. Yeah, yeah. So how it's like how much projection are we doing for for Pickens? Is this like a risk reward type of thing with him versus the others because that ceiling could exist even if we're wrong about the fact that he would have been productive if he wasn't injured? Yeah, I think it all comes down to where you're taking him like that. It, it, you know, I think he fits like that that area of like safe top like second round pick, but then you may be reaching a little bit in the first round. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, you're paying a premium on things we didn't get. But I've always been uh, one of these guys that always looks at like where players were handled in like um, in the Debbie community, like when they ran in college and like where their projection was at that time. And I love buying discounts on these guys. Juju Smith-Schuster was like that. Like everybody loved Juju Smith-Schuster coming out of high school and everyone loved the starter's career. And then he ends up falling uh, based on the final season that he has at USC. Justin Herbert was like that as well. So I always like these types of guys that like maybe just didn't either live up to the billing that they had or kind of either had an injury or fall down because Pickens was an elite pedigree prospect. He's a five-star recruit. He was awesome right out of the box at like age 18. On the quarterback show, you and I and Danny Kelly did with Patrick Crane, I always talk about, I always do look at how players perform in big spots. And like, he came out as an 18 year old and in their bowl game, like absolutely eviscerated Baylor. He had, he won MVP of the Sugar Bowl that year. The next year they play, he has like an injured season. He still, he plays Cincinnati, a team that was a top defense. 
and he just absolutely torched them in the Peach Bowl. So I, I look at these things and I him having that like elite pedigree, and I tend to believe that he was snake bit a little bit. And then you have the the, the confines of the the Georgia passing game last year, especially right uh, when he finally did get to play. So I do believe there is some upside there. Like you said, he is one of those guys that at least is one of those uh, you know six three type of guys fits that mold of almost what we talked about, right? The second round kind of bigger guy, a little discounted. Uh, maybe you run into a future alpha wide wide receiver. Like he prototypes as a guy that can play the X position for you. Whereas maybe not so much of the guys we'll talk about the rest of the way do. Okay. So, you know, and, okay. Well, I want to contrast him to someone. I want to like contrast him to, to Justin Ross for a second, because like how much of it, of the, the differing opinions on these guys, because Ross, again, huge recruit coming in great mm-hmm. early in his career uh, before the neck injury, before he missed, the 2020 season with the neck surgery, he, okay. These mocks are very, you know, questionable at best, but be, you know, like when, when they're mocking what was going to happen in the 2021 draft, he was commonly put up there as like Jamar chase. And then Justin Ross is going to be the second guy coming out in, in, in 2021 mm-hmm. before he played now, how much of the difference between these two who have kind of similar Ross probably is more ongoing injury concern uh, who had similar career trajectories. One guy runs a, you know, a, 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 in, the, in the four fours and change. Uh, and the other guy runs a, uh, I'm sorry, runs a four six, you know, and then, and then he plummets off the face of the earth as far as anyone being interested in him. And Pickens is very high here. What do you think about that, that kind of contrast between these two? Is it just like the athleticism things, or do you think it's the usage stuff or what, what do you think? To me, really, I mean, because they, they're very close, like you said, objectively being the Spider-Man meme, but they, yeah. the league is kind of almost hinting to us right now that they're not into Justin Ross. And that's the biggest, and it feels the opposite, yeah. right, for Pickens. Yeah. And yeah. to yeah. me, that's kind of the differentiator is like, because I want to believe in Justin Ross. And if somehow a team does say like they'll take him, I'll be kind of back in if there's a discount. But by all uh, intentions and purposes right now, leading the draft, it seems like he's going to not even make the day, he's not, he's going to make the day three. And yeah. then we're cooking with like a really low pro- projectable bucket here. But if he somehow, if some one team wanted to take the plunge, I would kind of be willing to take the plunge with those teams. I mean, he ran, he ran into just poor offensive attachment last year at Clemson. Uh, he was 31st in this class and kind of catchable target rate. Uh, that was sports info solutions data. I don't know what it shows up for you guys. I don't want to step on your toes. Yeah, well, we're going to have um, to bleep that out. We're going to bleep that out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, so he did take a step back, but he still does win in a number of areas. Like we talk about uh, routes that the NFL uses, he still did. He still was productive on a number of those those routes. So I still think that there is some kind of upside. You know, crossing routes, goes hitches. Like he can be that type of big body and still win that way. To me, only right now, my only pause is literally because the NFL is kind of telling me they might be hands off. Yeah, I mean, his med- maybe his medicals are like total red flag or something like that. I think that that's also a, a possibility for him. Another guy who I kind of put in a similar bucket, I think to Ross is like, you ran a four, six, and now you're dead to me. As you've mentioned a couple of times here, David Bell, what, what, what are we thinking about, about David Bell? And he, he's, he's fallen a lot and he's a little more sticky. Again, this is something, at least when I'm looking at some best ball draft data that he's been a little stickier for fantasy players. And, but on a lot of mock drafts on a lot of uh, big boards, he's like plummeting. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the the thing when you do, when you when you test out basically as like a 12th percentile athlete, it's it's like people because it's one thing to like not have good combine numbers. It's like one thing to have as bad as combine numbers. Yeah, it's, yeah. Because we I mean, know he comps to some okay guys like yeah, yeah. in my in my numbers to like maybe Jarvis Landry, maybe Juju Smith-Schuster, yeah. but he's just like yep. worse at everything. You know, it's like <laughs> it's, it's hard when it's like he's just outside of the comp. It's like he's a little bit slower. He doesn't. He's you know he's a little less explosive. He's a little everything else. It's just worse across the board. So I don't know if I can credibly still call those guys comps, even if he is close in a lot of different categories. Yeah. And it's one of those things, uh, you know, when you, when you look at Dave Bell, we talk about the combine, it might not matter to us big picture in terms of like predictability for the NFL, but one thing it kind of is predictable for is draft capital. So we know that the yeah. NFL still, still does it. Like when Taekwon Thornton goes over David Bell, like what are we going to do? Uh, you know, yeah. but you know, he's a guy though that like, he was awesome as a 19-year-old playing, you know, with Purdue. You know, he didn't play as much with Rondell Moore because Rondell Moore was off the field so much. Uh, but, you know, immediately came and produced. He was really good against man coverage, but he does one of those guys that does. We, we This is one of these things that we're going to double count, right? Because he does win a lot of contested catches, but he, he torches man coverage, but he has to contest, consistently win in contested catch situations. So him not testing well is almost like, well, we kind of knew that, but to the degree maybe we didn't we were just hoping for a little better to me again that's just we circle back to it it's just like how much does uh you know a team really believe and willing to take on maybe the the non-ceiling aspect of a david bell versus like what he could provide as a floor because like i said the guys like tylen wallace and tyler johnson who also had very similar careers on the field uh you know ended up falling with lower draft capital than kind of i think a lot of fantasy people thought they would have, you know, from their models would suggest that they had. Uh, so we're going to see how bullish teams are on him. Cause he wasn't a guy that produced a lot of explosive plays. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where we are with him, but uh, I'm still going to hold a candle. And like you, you said, those positive comps, I'm going to hold those into some regard if he gets a top hundred pick, but like if he falls like yeah, the, yeah. the day three, then We'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's really tough, when, like, especially when you're doing these. When I'm I'm doing a lot of these pieces on comps, like it's t- it's just tough. Like any receiver who you can't get into day two for their draft assumption, it's like what's the point of even doing comps? They they all because yeah, Jarvis you know, still like, went in the second. <laughs> Yeah, because Jarvis yeah. still went in the second. Keenan went in the third. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, man, yeah, the early third, I think. But no, yeah, so, who knows? He has more mid. So yeah. So if he can go, like you said, if he can get that type of draft capital versus what we just seen in recent years from the Tyler Johnson, Tyler Wallace's, then we can start having a little more stock in the upside angle of those comps. Okay, well, what about these tiny guys? Because I don't know. Like you mentioned, Dodson. You met, uh, like Calvin Austin, maybe. He's yeah. somewhat interesting. I mean, he he destroyed the combine, not just as far as running in the four threes, but then also jumping a mile uh, in the broad. And um, I don't, I'm not sure if he ever did the cone at his at his uh, there or not. I think he may have. Um, but yeah, he's a kind of an interesting guy. What do you say? <laughs> Khalil Shakur is another one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like these little tiny guys. I don't know. Like I just can't get that excited about them. Although. Um, again, going back to the just bombs factor, like I thought Calvin Austin looked pretty good when I was watching some highlights, he's doing stuff on the outside, but you know, he's maybe like a K, like a KJ Hamler type who I liked a lot coming out. I just don't know if these guys are ever going to trigger into something, you know, like, are you, are you ever going to be able at that size? I think people forget like 
even Tyreek Hill is pretty big, actually, vis-a-vis -vis these other guys. Like, is, just, is it just ever going to translate into something where you can rely upon them and feel comfortable saying, yeah, this is going to be my wide receiver who I can count on for a thousand yards and six touchdowns, you know, a season at least. Yeah, I mean, basically when we get to like the wide receiver size trending for some of these 195 pound guys still being, you know, really projectable to be good NFL players, there's still a lot to be at the 170 pound guys. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're still hoping for like a Deshaun Jackson type. And Calvin Austin for me is particularly tough because like the Memphis offense, like all they've done is put great athletes on the field and they kind of play like a brand of football that's not even real football. Uh, yeah. So it's really hard to translate those guys to the NFL, right? They just get these fast guys into space and let them win with athleticism and Calvin Austin was right after that. Uh, the one thing you're a little bit, probably a little more excited about him versus a guy like Taekwon Thornton, who also ran fast, is that he was a little bit better after the catch uh, than a guy like Taekwon Thornton. But like, I'm in no man's land with a guy like Calvin Austin because it's one thing when you tell me you have a guy like Devontae Smith who's competing for Heisman trophies and comes with elite first round draft capital, and me kind of bucking the trend and saying like, yeah, I can see bypassing some of this him being kind of a unique player at a size versus a guy that might go day two is 175 pounds and might just be a, li a lifter in the NFL and have just tactical leverage only like a KJ Hamler. Uh, I was always down on KJ Hamler for that same reason. It's just like, well, how much actual production are we going to get in the NFL? And KJ Hamler was a guy that also came with special teams, you know, uh, pretty elite special teams, you know, qual qualities as well. So it's tough. I don't, I have to kind of squint to see it a little bit with Calvin Austin, but he's a guy, as you said, like he's going to get drafted higher than maybe we would want to. Right. Like if we were yeah. running an NFL team, he's going to get drafted higher. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could see him be one of these guys who maybe, I don't know, in the late second or something like that, these teams bring him in as their whatever guy that's, that's going to, you know, open up the offense or is going to replace somebody else um, if they may need it. So I, I could definitely see that that happening. Who, 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 who are we missing? Who are we not talking about here? I know that I kind of like just 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 like farted all over anyone that goes in day three but if there is a receiver that it's going to go a little bit later here who could do something maybe people aren't talking about like who, who else are we thinking about here yeah i mean uh on day three like you know i i imagine we'll see like like i said the guys we didn't talk about like i think christian watson's probably gonna go like top 50 top 60 ish yeah, what about uh, Watson? Yeah, let's, let's, yeah, that's a guy that I sh we should probably Sky talk Moore about. too. Sky Moore's going to go. Oh, Sky, yeah, Sky, Sky Moore's like this is a funny. The Sky Moore was one that PFF had rated very high before mm -hmm. the combine, like much higher than almost anyone else, and now everyone's loving him. How do you how do you think about like? Yeah, well, how do you think about how do you do how do you think about he's 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 an early declare, right? Yeah, so, and, and, so, and early declare non power five guys are pretty rare. Right, uh, right, because even um, especially like guys Davis, that drafted highly. <laughs> yeah, Corey Davis was not an early declare coming out of uh, uh, Western Michigan. No, remember Braverman came out early out of that yeah. group, out of the team, out of that team, and wasn't drafted. Yeah, yeah, I was think it's funny when the guys come out early and then no one wants them. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so he is, he is coming out early. He's got the production, got the testing. Um, yeah, he's an interesting guy. He's another guy who's like floating into maybe round one sort of range. So I think I I, I think he's interesting. I, I think I like him a lot more than someone like Christian Watson. But those are probably the two yeah. guys who have who have jumped up the most post combine. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like Sky more. My model likes him a lot. Uh, my only reservations from more of a fantasy stance because that's where I'm coming from is just like what type of player is he going to be in the NFL. 
Like, is he ever going to be like a high touchdown? He feels like more of a volume player in the NFL. Although yeah, he, his, because yeah. I mean, he, his, his whole like route tree and the clinic he puts on at releases at the line of scrimmage are amazing, but he's also doing it in the Mac. Uh, and we saw like Dwayne Eskridge, like just eviscerate dudes like a, a year ago as well. Although we knew he was, he was pretty raw there. I don't want to compare so much him and Dwayne Eskridge in terms of players, because one is a polished wide receiver and one was just an athlete. But it's yeah. also, we just, we also oh, Eskridge, do not Eskridge have... was also like 25 years old, but yeah. Yeah, but we also just don't have a huge sample of like Skymore also just like facing elite competition. It just doesn't exist where he played. This dude, last year, he had 433 yards on slants alone. Uh, yeah. 200, 200 more yards than the next closest receiver and, and 189 more than the next receiver in this class. Like he just, just torched dudes on slants. Like just really, yeah. that's like all he had to do. Uh, so I'm curious to see, he gets comped to like golden Tate a lot. I think of him as like a Tyler Boydish type player. because He's good with the ball too. Uh, you know, and I just, if there, is there a cap on his fantasy ceiling in that regard? But I think he's a really sound player. I think he's a really good bet, uh, in terms of like floor plus upside, and that's why he's getting kind of that projected draft capital now. And if he does get that project, projected draft capital, it puts him in like really good company uh, in terms of early declare non-power five guys. Yeah, people love like releases and to share. It's like oh, they it's, do. Like, they shareable do. content and other stuff. Like it's almost fetish, fetishized a little bit too much for, for for my taste. But yeah, he's definitely got that that whole thing going on. Let's talk about um, let's talk about Christian Watt. Uh, let's talk about Christian Watson down because he's like going to i don't know where he's gonna go he's another guy where people are talking about him people like just the six forwardness oh, of him yeah. i have a feeling uh obviously the speed he's an older dude i think he's 23 he's he's in that he's gonna be, yeah, be a 23 year old rookie yeah 23 year old rookie um what 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 what's your deal with him i've, I've heard like a, there's a lot there's there's definitely a, a people who are very very much out on him after the some of the film watching people on him um, and I think the metrics don't look great because of the age mm-hmm. and the lack of uh, early career production. Yeah, I mean, though, you would like a lot more early career production, especially from an FCS guy. Uh, we had talked, joked about, yeah, not even joked about, just talked about Sky Moore and him being in a very low bucket of early declare non-Power 5 guys. You never get early declare FCS guys, really. Like Adam <laughs> Shaheen was like the most recent dude, like from Ashland, that was an early yeah. declare. Like you just don't see it. So I don't really, like him being a non-early declare isn't carrying as much weight as like other guys, just because like when you look at non-early declares that hit it typically is these the John Browns, the Cooper Cups, right? They they can't they don't they're not really eligible to declare early. Uh, they don't they're not rewarded that opportunity. And North Dakota State they didn't even play in 2020 the pandemic year, right? Like they played in like the spring because they did they scheduled one game for Trey Lance to play, and then they played like in the spring. So it's kind of like a weird kind of thing that happened to him as well. Um, but the NFL is not going to be able to help themselves, right? We talked about maybe not size mattering, but if you're six, four and you run really fast, NFL is going to, NFL is going to look at you. NFL is going to look yeah. at you. There's no way they won't. Uh, so he was a guy that had, you know, a lot of vertical stuff. I think when you watch him, you know, and I'm not a scout, but like I do watch these guys too. I'm just not doing the just bomb videos. He's just very rigid, right? Like he just does it. Like he's a guy that's, that, that he takes a lot of projection in terms of like being able to get open uh outside of using athleticism that's the projection right uh because he, he can run by a lot of guys in fcs and you know he was a big riser though i think at the senior bowl all the guys liked him there uh so that helped his cause a little bit but really uh 
he's six four and runs really fast. That's all like that's all that matters. So that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's got you know he's got a chance <laughs> of success and maybe maybe big success. But he's just one of those guys where he's almost automatically going to be put in a bucket for me that mm-hmm. someone else is going to be willing to yes to, go higher. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to go yeah, higher go than I than I am, and it's just like. So I don't really need to like think about it too hard because it's just never really going to come up. It's never, it's yes. never really going to, they're really going to be in that, in that position. I don't think at least um, to, to, to get him somewhere. So that's why I'll probably end up fading him. But I mean, hell, if he ends up going in the, at the end of the first round in the NFL draft, people are going to go absolutely nuts as far as over, over drafting him. And then it'll be like just completely off of the, off of the charts for, for how I might even think about, <laughs> think about him. All right. Have we missed anyone else here that you want to, that you want to highlight? Um, I mean, not necessarily highlight, but uh, I mean, there are a couple of players I think that are interesting. I think Jalen Tolbert's pretty interesting. Uh, South yeah. Alabama. He's, yeah. He's definitely interesting. Well, let's talk about him a little bit because he's, he's high on my just bombs scale and he did pretty well. <laughs> Like he's really high, actually. When when I watch him, and I've I've seen some some people. Of course, I I would totally fade these narratives if they don't fit in with with um what what I was kind of seeing when I was watching him. But some people are saying he kind of had this late change to his game. Like he brought his game to a whole new level. South Alabama, you know, really old, doesn't have the early career production, but he seemed to have a type of game that was like the in the extreme production i'm interested in even if it was an early career he hit a very very high marks as far as the like how high he was in his best year in his final season yeah i mean you look at last year i mean he had 55 percent of his team receiving yards yeah. uh, he had 33 percent of his team's yards from scrimmage period that was the uh, you know, the highest, both of those are the highest in this draft class, uh, you know, and he was, you know, he had 36% of the team receiving touchdowns. Think about this, South Alabama averaged 10.9 yards per play throwing to him and just 5.9 yards per play throwing to anyone else in the offense. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely yeah. crazy. To me, he reminds me a lot of Gabriel Davis coming out of UCF, a guy that, like, has a way, like, he can win outside right now in the NFL. I know that. It's just what is the rest of his game going to look like? Uh, but does he also get drafted by the Buffalo Bills and like a good quarterback? Can he be Gabriel Davis is another question, but uh, he, he gives me a lot of those Gabe, same Gabriel Davis vibes where like, he, he probably won't be a second rounder, but he could sneak into day three, maybe the top of day four, uh, and be a guy that consistently can just win in the vertical game for you and be a guy that can at least soak up some of those targets. And if you get any other rest of the game to round out, you've got kind of something to work with there, but only Jamison Williams had more yards than him on targets over 30 yards down field last year uh he led the class in targets of 20 plus yards uh he led it let him let him in catches so he is a guy i think that is pretty interesting in terms of being able to get you like to play that flanker role get you some downfield targets uh on day three that is kind of serviceable there and then maybe you get a little bit more if the rest of his game rounds out I, I think he might go go day two. It's possible. I mean, he has a small school disadvantage, but we'll end up seeing there. Well, another guy actually now that I'm looking at some of the rankings in the mock draft. I guess Alec Pierce is maybe a guy to talk about. He's a he's a guy where when I when I've watched him, I'm like, oh, he you know he does some some decent things as far as like he's explosive, like going down the field sometimes. But then you just look at the stat sheet and it's just like, what the hell, man? He's like, he's empty. It's just like, why isn't there more here? There's no meat to, to sink into when you're looking at his his production beyond, like his highlights are much, much better than his production, basically. 
Yeah, and his highlights are good because all he's doing is making contested catches. When people talk about Drake London, I feel like they're actually really talking about Alec Pierce. Yeah. Uh, you know, he reminds me a lot of uh, Chris Conley when he came out of Georgia, like uh, a guy that really didn't have a lot of production, but then was like at the combine, like went nuts. Uh, you know, get, stuff got kind of elevated. He had the size profile, but when you look right. at him, like all he did was run go routes. Uh, he had the highest rate of go routes in this class, and then when you pair that, he had the highest rate of contested targets in this class as well. So, like, can he get open out of the routes uh, is, like, what you're working with. And, you know, you like the athleticism on, on paper, but he feels like the one guy, like, we would elevate for the wrong reasons in this class, and he probably will be because he's 6'3 and 210 pounds, and he was basically the, the RIS score or whatever you use uh, is off the charts. But he, he gives me very Chris Conley type vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not too excited about him. Um Wandale Robinson was a guy some people were interested in who is now, again, falling well, off the face of the earth. Everyone's trying to make a Debo Samuel, so. Yeah, he's falling <laughs> off the face of the earth. And like his, I, you know what I think killed him in a way? It was, first of all, it's weird to see measurements kill somebody when it's like his arms are so short. It's like, dude, could yeah. you like, <laughs> is this, are we really that surprised? He doesn't weigh that much. It's like, we kind of knew that. What I, what I really think killed him too is that his like unofficial 40 time was in the four fives. And then is it, but his official 40 time is actually in the four fours. But I feel like that impression never got out of people's minds. Like he was just dead to me for, for a lot of people. A lot of people are like dead to me. The minute they saw that number come up after the poor measurements, you think there's any hope for a guy with a, like, you know, an ant like catch radius basically in the NFL. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I would never say never, especially with where the NFL is, is trending. But I mean, these guys typically just, aren't, this is not the archetype of receiver. Like I really have ever have any interest in. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's small. You talked about the catch radius. I mean, nine inch hands, sub 28 inch arms, uh, you know, manufactured, strictly manufactured touch player, basically. Uh, he is the right. highest big, rate big of, production, big production, big career production, but yeah. manufactured. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, he is the highest rate of targets in this class, uh, below 10 yards. And you, the, the, the level of athlete isn't just necessarily to the levels of like a Rondell Moore, right? Uh, who Ali yeah. also was not into for the same reason. Like this archetype receiver is just not me. It's for some people. I can tell you what, maybe it's just a blind spot for me, but like, uh, and maybe a bias uh, that I, I need to get over eventually as the NFL transitions. But like this type of player, you're never really going to sway me into. Uh, this is like you said for um, Christian Watson. Someone's gonna, always going to like this player more than you. It's always these guys for me. Like someone al- always is going to like these guys more than I do. Oh, yeah. So someone always talks. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could say Tyreek Hill was this type of kind of – gimmicky gadget well like a, like fast. a slash type of player yeah no, yeah obviously <laughs> he was he was fast no 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 doubts but i'm just saying we talk about rondell Moore maybe as, as like as like a that sort of guy like he was yeah, one yeah. of these like it was kind of like bullshit like i don't know what sort of how they're getting this production sort of thing and that was obviously a massive massive hit um but yeah but he's just other level sort of athlete um it's actually even funny with even tyree kill because i was i was watching something on who it was i can't remember who it was but they're talking about being a body catcher in this that like Tyreek Hill's not that great at actually catching the ball with his hands. If you watch him play, he does body catch it and stuff like that, but he's just so ridiculously fast that it, that it doesn't, that he's able to make up for it in all those sorts of ways. So I think generally betting on these super athletes is, uh, that, that are that are like a slash type of player between running back and wide receiver and catch a bunch of screens and do other stuff. It's not a, it's not a great way to go. Um, 
All right, I think that's basically it. Unless, yeah, we, unless you a have lot any of names, other names, man. We ran through a lot of guys. I mean, uh, I don't know who else we got. I mean, I think we'll see the NFL like some players, like Bo Melton, maybe a little bit more, who's stuck in just like a terrible uh, yeah. Rutgers offense. I'm very curious where the two Rutgers guys, where they regarded in the NFL, him and Isaiah Pacheco, who looks like he could be a little bit more than what we saw in college too. That, like that Rutgers team was so bad. I cannot emphasize how bad that team was in terms of quarterback play and offensive line. Uh, to give these guys a little bit more upside. And Bo Melton was another guy that ran fast. My only concern with him, too, is just like, what does he project to do in the NFL? You know, uh, he's a little bit smaller than a guy like Khalil Shakur. He ran faster, but also 189 pounds. Uh, you know, how much of how what does he how much does he win outside? Does he ever score a lot of touchdowns? Those types of things. But I do think that he will get drafted a lot better than like his objective profile suggests because, man, that, dude, that Rutgers team was so horrible. They were so, so bad. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's what is he? He's in the one eighties or something, right? He's, yeah, he's, he's not. He's like, one eighty nine, so he's not like a. He's not a shrimp. Right. Uh, That's good enough. One eighty nine is good yeah, enough. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, I'm excited <laughs> about the NFL draft here and what these guys will be doing as rookies. Um, I'm glad to have this Traylon Burks uh, insanity going on. Yeah, he's fifth now on the mock draft board yeah. behind all these other guys. But it could um, be good for him. Yeah, yeah, could could be good for him, and it'll be interesting. You know, I'll have my my guy to to uh, to. to I mean, if he goes to the Packers, if he goes in any of that run of the Packers, the Cardinals, Cowboys, like in that run, like Cardinals, though, do you really like the Cardinals? I don't know. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is still there. Uh, I do because you look at how much they were. What they were fifth in the NFL in usage of three or more wide receivers, and first in usage of four or more wide receivers in the. Yeah. In, and they lost Christian Kirk. They lost AJ Green. They're two top target earners. Uh, obviously, you know DeAndre Hopkins missed seven games, but it's just Rondell Moore. It's Ronda, the the depth chart has been purged this offseason. Uh, it's just a, a bunch of vagabonds like Andy Isabella and Antoine Wesley, and so the hey, opportunity Andy, for Arizona is there. Andy Isabella is uh, <laughs> he's 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 open. They're open to an Andy Isabella trade out there. I so bet they anyone, are. <laughs> if anyone has a conditional seventh out there, if anyone has a conditional seventh, they want to part with. You, you could have Andy Isabella. Yeah, the yeah, the Packers would be. My only, my only like fear with with anyone going to the Packers is like you get in week one and you drop a couple passes, and Aaron Rodgers is like, okay, you're dead yeah. to me for the season, so come back, come back next year, you know, and maybe I'll I'll throw you the ball. Yeah, I, you gotta look up the. I'm gonna send you the Aaron Rodgers uh, football video that we talked about. That's the that's what you don't want to have happen. Yeah, he, he, cross can just, like, he can just crush someone's confidence and soul. Like, I thought Devontae Adams was toast after his rookie season where he was awful as as a as a rookie but then uh he ended up coming coming back so but yeah man i'd love to see him there though if they could move him around and stuff and just kind of use him in, in a similar sort of way oh man that'd be that'd be incredible yeah. uh anyway all right rich at lord reeves on twitter you have all your information over at sharp was it sharp fantasy sharp, sharp analysis.com uh, no off-season paywall and anything so you can check out all the stuff yeah so check out all the stuff there How, how's warren doing how's warren's mustache doing Oh, it's Good. still strong. Uh, it's, it's still an elite do you, PGA. Do you, feel, do you feel obligated to also go mustache and maybe just oh, make I, it like oh, a Oh, no, I can't, I can't compete uh, with that. So I just, it's, it's like an intimidation factor. <laughs> do you ever think but, maybe he wants to shave it sometimes and he's, but he can't? Oh, he can't. Like, no, it's too late. Now. Yeah, it's yeah. like I can't change my AVI on Twitter at this point. Like it's, <laughs> right. you can't do it. Uh, yeah, the Roto-Reeves. You can't go Roto-Reeves. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, Warren looks like he's bowled a few 300 games in his life, right? Like at that mustache. <laughs> He's bold. He's not something. It looks down. like it looks like it's been lots of places. It looks like it, it could. That stories to tell. As a mustache says, stories to tell for <laughs> for sure. So yeah, check out everything Rich does. I love to confirm. 
uh, you know, kind of get, sort my own <laughs> opinions on there. Definitely one of the people in the industry who I uh, respect his opinion, probably more than my own, since that's my opinion is all over the place. But um, go check everything out there. Otherwise, I'll be coming back next week. Talk running backs. I talked to JJ about coming on next week. I'm not sure if he can. Maybe we'll have someone else on or we'll talk more in the future. But thank you so much, my friend, for joining me. Mm -hmm. And I'll be talking to everyone out there uh, next week. 